So, so we won't solve that problem today. Uh, let's try to solve world peace first. That would probably be easier. Come back, come back to who should run the database backup. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restored All Podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. With me, as always, is my ODB2 specialist, Prasanna Maliandi. How's it going, Prasanna? I'm good, Curtis. I don't know if I'm your auto-diagnostic specialist. No, I, think you, but... I think you are. You're, well, you, <laughs> but, but once again, I needed some information, and somehow you knew more about this topic than I did. Once again, uh, you managed to... I needed... Uh, I, I, I knew how to get an ODB2 diagnostics tool. I, I already had one, but what I wanted was one that worked with my phone. And what I really wanted was one that would log over time and create a graph specifically in this case of my coolant temperature of my car, because I believe that after having replaced the water pump, that my temp is never getting above, above 199. But... Um, you know, and you sort of turned me on to. Oh, do you remember what the name of that? The, the, there was a. I think it was like OBD Fusion. OBD or something Fusion, like that. yeah, something like that. And and then and then that and then they're like, this software works with all of these adapters. So I went and got one of those adapters, and I believe that my friendly neighborhood Amazon delivery man is delivering it like as I speak. <laughs> it's happening sometime today, and then that will allow me to drive my car around and you know, um, hopefully prove that I've repaired it successfully. <laughs> So, um, but anyway, so we have, we have a, 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 another rare treat on, on the podcast this week. We have, uh, in fact, this is, I think, you know, I always love when we have a first, this is a first, our guest is actually closer to me. He is much closer to me than he is to you. Yep. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so he is literally like right around the corner. I don't know what, <laughs> a couple of miles. He has been in IT for uh, over 24 years and he started his own consulting company, Denny Cherry and Associates Consulting that specializes in uh, SQL Server and Azure. And so welcome to the podcast, Denny Cherry. Thank you guys both for having me. Appreciate it. We don't, we don't get many Oceanside uh, visitors. Yeah, yeah I, would say, I would imagine finding somebody that's literally down the street is probably not all that common. Especially like <laughs> someone that understands this part of the industry. Curtis gets super excited, Denny. You have no idea. <laughs> I think I've only found one other person that like lives in the area, and I think they've already moved. Oh, really? Yeah. I have a yeah. few people in San Diego, like San Diego proper or yeah, proper, county yeah. uh, and i actually have another uh, druva employee that now lives in carlsbad which was which is very exciting so i get to see her occasionally uh and speaking of druva i just want to mention that i work for druva persona works for zoom and uh, this is not a podcast of either company the opinions that you hear are ours remember to rate us at rate this slash restore and you know if you've got something interesting to talk about in any of the spaces that we talk about then talk to us uh, at WC Preston on Twitter or W Curtis Preston at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, and we'll get you on the podcast and get, we're friendly. Get talking. We're Come friendly. join us. Well, one of us is friendly. And then, and then there's me. 
Hi, this is your host, W. Curtis Preston, again, jumping in as I'm editing this week's podcast. As I've mentioned on previous podcasts, we're doing a giveaway of an ebook version of my book, Modern Data Protection, courtesy of my publisher, O'Reilly and Associates. In order to be eligible for this drawing, all you need to do is subscribe to our mailing list on backupcentral.com. Easy peasy. And I will select one new subscriber each week to win an ebook version of Modern Data Protection. The first part of the email address of the winner of this week's free ebook is D.A. McClellan. You know who you are. You should have received an email from me already. Congratulations on that. And the rest of you, just subscribe to the mailing list by next week and uh, you could be eligible. Back to the podcast. But yeah, the, the idea that I knew you for like a couple of years on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And then I just, you made some post about something going on in Oceanside. I was like, why are you posting stuff that's going (laughs) going on in Oceanside? I I think I tweeted one of the San Diego Tribune articles about the homeless population of the area or something. And you're like, hey, I live there. I'm like, yeah, so do I. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty funny that we found out on Twitter that we live around the corner from each other. I I don't think that we should spend the entire time talking about the lovely city in which I happen to live. But I I do want to talk about a couple of things. So we, you know, both of us have dabbled in the things that you specialize in. But honestly, dabbling would probably be, I don't even think I could say dabbled. Could, how, how much have you dabbled? I watch a lot of YouTube. I have a lot of automotive knowledge based on YouTube. I think my experience with SQL and Azure is like not even like the title of a book. Like I think you can fit on like, <laughs> right. It's very very limited. I can I've done things in my past around backing up and what it takes to back up SQL, etc. But uh, building data protection products around it. But yeah, yeah I, physically hands on with Azure or SQL, not much. Different. I have backed up. SQL. I am aware of the physical structure of SQL and the various names of the various parts of SQL and sort of, um, I am also aware of its ancestry that most people are not aware of, or at least the original version of SQL, um, that at one time it, it shared a, a code base with Sybase, which was a very interesting time frame. Uh, did you know that persona? I think you mentioned it before. Yeah. Which is yeah. actually kind of shocking. Yeah. It, <laughs> Basically, the, the the memory that I have is that Microsoft wanted to do with Sybase, they wanted to do things for SQL Server on Windows, basically things that would make it do better on Windows. And, SQL, and uh, Sybase was like, no, we want to maintain one code base, right? Does this sound familiar? Right. This, this is a problem that a lot of companies have, right? And so basically they parted ways and Microsoft took the code with it legally, right? They didn't steal it or anything. Uh, and then, you know, SQL Server was born and they've developed it. And um, I, I don't know how much of the original code is probably left at this point, but I'm almost not. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I a little bit of that. Azure, uh, by the way, let's just settle this right here. Is that how you pronounce it? Do you pronounce it Azure or Azure? Azure. You say Azure. Yeah, yeah, that's how I always pronounce it. Is, is, Azure. is it when you talk to Microsoft people? Did that is that how they pronounce it? That that is how they pronounce it. Um, whenever I've talked to anybody up at, at Microsoft Corporate, okay, well, that settles that settles so I, that because I, 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 I've always taken that to be the gospel. Okay, Azure. All right, <laughs> I'll stop because I've always felt like I want to say Azure, but then 
people that seem like they know more than me, they go azure because it makes it sound like like it's French or something. Right. <laughs> something mystical and fancy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk about both of these things. Um, so let's just talk about SQL Server for a little bit. What kinds of uh, challenges are you helping people solve with SQL Server? I mean, a lot of it's making things faster. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the times they get developers in there that are building stuff. They'll get smart developers in. So they're building apps. They're building whatever the, 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 the app is or the feature is for the app. Um, and then they hit the performance wall because the developer they've got knows lots of things about .NET or Java or whatever the front end is that they're using. Mm-hmm. Um, and they know almost nothing about the back end. So they know there's a table and they that's about as much as they know about it. Right. Um, so a lot of times we'll come in and go, hey, cool. Like, now, now that we've got this, let's actually do some performance tuning on this and make these queries significantly faster. Um, oftentimes we're talking minutes to milliseconds. Is really? The, the amount of performance change that we'll, we'll introduce to a system. Yeah, it, it's an incredible amount of change. And this is by, what the, go ahead, Persona. No, go, ahead. go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask, yeah, and what's that, what is most of the optimizations around? Is it just sort of indexing? Is it like the way they're writing the queries themselves? Uh, it's going yeah, <laughs> to be all the above, yeah. Um, so first pass will be indexing because we'll try and do as much as we can with that. Because with indexing changes, we don't need to change code. And if we don't need to change code, we don't need to go through code review. And just a um, quick question, Danny, because a lot of our listeners may not be familiar with databases. Could you talk about what indexing is and why it's important? Yeah. So um, think back to this thing called the library at, <laughs> that was in town. So the library, yeah, this is the description I use all the time, and it's starting to backfire now because everybody the audiences at conferences is now younger and doesn't know what a library is. <laughs> um, so in the library, they have card catalogs and obviously lots of books. So the books would represent a table in SQL Server. So they're, they're in an order, the Dewey Decimal System here in the U.S. Um, and if we want to go find them, we can either go scrolling through the entire library looking for the book that we want, um, or we can go over to the card catalogs. So the card catalogs, so there's two of them, one by title, one by author. Those are effectively our non-clustered indexes that we have in SQL Server. This is how we do fast lookups. So we can go to the card catalog and instead of going through the entire library looking for the books that I wrote, that Denny Cherry wrote, and there's seven of them, by the way, um, we can then go to the card catalog and scroll exactly to where Denny Cherry is in the card catalog and go, all right, cool. These are all the books he wrote, and this is where they are, are all in the library. So this is exactly what an index does is it makes it faster and easier for SQL Server to go look for things because data is simply stored in them in a different order, in a different alphabetical order, because we store the data in that index based on a different column. So whereas the library is sorted based on Dewey Decimal Order, the card catalog is going to be stored based on author last name and then followed by author first name. So this is what an index is, and these are what we add to, to tables to make things faster and make the lookups against those faster. As you said, you can do that without code changes. Right. We can do that without code change. We can do that without pushing a new version of the app. All we need to do is add indexes to the database, and we're off and running. Um, and there's a, what, probably a performance hit or a storage or computation hit for keeping these index, I'm sure, but it probably far outweighs the performance gains that you get. 
That would be the typical argument that developers give me about why they don't want to add these indexes. Um, so adding an index, yes, it w there will be a performance hit for every insert, update, and delete that you do if you add an index. For every index you add, assume it's going to add a, somewhere between a quarter to a half of a millisecond for every data change that you do, for every insert, update, delete. When your index, when your seeks, when your lookups are taking seconds instead of milliseconds, and you're doing that to save milliseconds, you're not really saving anything. Right, that makes sense. <laughs> like all you, yeah, all you're doing is costing the company money. That makes sense. Um, hey, and so, what percentage performance improvement does a like a typical index add? Like a, sort of a, not just one index, but like a bunch of indexes. Typically, 99%, especially when we start looking at a, a system we haven't looked at before, um, the the percentage improvement we're going to see is dramatic. Gotcha. Um, and I mean, you know, you know, when we're talking about, you know, we can get queries taken from seconds to milliseconds, that's 99.999% performance improvement typically on this nexus. And and so if, it, if it's that good, just adding indexes, like at what point, how bad does it have to be for you to start talking about doing code changes and changing how they're writing the, the query? The code's got to be pretty egregious before you really start <laughs> wanting to look at it. Um, but there are some really easy ways to write what looks like really normal code or really, you know, what would be, you would think would be an okay level of code. Mm -hmm. um, but to SQL Server, it's absolutely abysmal because the database <laughs> just doesn't know what to do with it. Um, the classic example is uh, if you've got a query coming in and you've, you know, you you need to be able to do lookups based on whether or not you've got a first name or a last name entered. So what you'll do is you'll put, you know, where open paren, uh, you know, variable last name is null mm -hmm. or variable last name is like the last name column. And you'll do that a couple of times with, with or statements in between. Well, that looks relatively normal. Like when you look at it into a person, like, okay, it makes sense. I know what it's doing. The problem is that SQL Server has no clue what to do with that because whenever SQL Server figures out how it's going to access the data, it doesn't have any values in those variables. So as far as SQL Server knows, those variables are all just blank. Um, so when it builds this plan of what it's going to do, it has to assume that all these variables are going to have something in them or nothing in them. And it's going to have to account for the fact that it's got to look at every single one of these columns, even though you're only passing in one or two of these, these variables. So it can get very sticky and very bad for SQL very, Interesting. very fast. Uh, is this different than, say, other relational databases? Like, is there something specific about SQL, or is this just most relational databases will have this sort of issue? No, all the relational databases are going to have this issue. So Oracle okay. DB2, MySQL, Postgres, gotcha. SQL Server, they all have this. Um, SQL Server just has the bad rep of being the <laughs> the, the workgroup size yep. database, even though it's really not. It, it outgrew that a decade and a half ago. Right, right. Did, uh, by the way, this is a true story. Did you, did you see the story of the guy who got a personalized license plate of null, so he he got he got his he got a personalized license plate of null, and suddenly overnight he got all of the um, tickets where they had written a ticket and they didn't have the license plate of the of the person, and and he and he fought like 
tens of thousands of dollars of, of tickets. It was a pretty, pretty crazy situation. The one thing I was going to ask is, I know with SQL Server, there are sort of custom things that Microsoft allows. I think they're called T-SQL queries. T-SQL is the language. Yeah. Okay. Or sorry, what is there's something that's specific, though, for SQL Server that isn't available in like other flavors of like MySQL, which usually makes it harder to sort of use another database backend. Oh, I mean, so Microsoft allows you to put CLR queries inside inside the database or CLR objects inside the database, which you can't do with any of the other platforms. Uh, so, I mean, CLR is common common language expression, so .NET. So I can write a DLL in C Sharp or VB.NET or F Sharp or whatever my language of choice is. I can compile that. I can load that as an assembly into SQL Server, and then I can call that. So that's really good for doing like string manipulation stuff that that the T SQL language isn't good at. You can do through that through that language there. Um, it gets overused a lot by developers because they want to put stuff in there that they shouldn't be, um, <laughs> and it'll end up crashing crashing things and making things perform horribly if you're not careful. The only thing I care about in the end is backing up this stuff. <laughs> we, you know, I know Druva, for example, actually. Due to the popularity of SQL Server, Druva has a database agent for SQL Server, which it was actually the first one that we wrote, uh, the first database agent that we wrote was for SQL Server. Um, is there anything specific to SQL Server that when, when you think about any any challenges that people have with with backup of, of you know, and, and restoring it? Um, you know, and backup restore gets into very, very touchy areas very fast, especially when you start talking third-party tools, um, because people get very cautious very fast, um, and they DBAs especially we're we're control freaks. Um, we, we we like to maintain control of what's going on, and and typically when a third-party platform, third-party backup solution comes into play, the DBA gets taken out of the equation, and and it's it's. Backed up as one of the other systems in the environment. I am well aware of this long-running argument. <laughs> yes, um, and so the the political argument at the office then ends up being, well, cool. So you're not going to be responsible for the backups, but you're the guy we're going to yell at when you can't restore it. Like, mm. Uh, mm. no, that's not the way this works. Yeah, either I control it all, or you don't talk to me when you can't restore it. I don't want to hear about it. Interesting. Um, that is a very DBA thing to say. <laughs> well, if if I'm not backing it up, I can't be held responsible for being yeah, able to restore it. Yeah, this is, I've had this argument so many times. Yeah, my my problem with the alternative is that I would say exactly what you said back to you, right? Right. I'm responsible yeah. for the backups, and if I let you do all the backups, and then all the backups are wrong, I'm the one get yelled at because I'm the backup guy. Right. This is this is a long running. And the, and the, the thing that I really hate is and this is just me talking is the thing I hate more than anything is dump and sweep. Right. Which is what which is the usual way to get around this problem. What's dump and sweep? Well, oh, thank you. Dump and sweep is where I let Danny back up his database whenever he wants to some mount point. And then I use the backup software to back up whatever he puts there, right? Um, and you know, we could. The, the the big reason I don't like that is that you have to be really good at coding to notice when things go wrong, right? So what happens, for example, when 
Denny changes his cron job or whatever, or whatever they call it on Windows. Uh, what what do they call it? Scheduled 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 task. task. Thank you. And and he changes it or he deletes it or just somehow mucks it up. And now the database is no longer backing up. But meanwhile, I've got a file that I'm backing up. And what I'm backing up for six months is the file from backup from six months ago. Right. right his job. Yeah. And, and, and so the, the, you've got to be good at like noticing things like that. You know, you got to Can't you both just get along? You, Come on, back <laughs> up the DBAs. Come on. It's, Start with this podcast. We are, we are, we, I mean, the thing is we both care about the data, right? And yeah. we both feel that we're going to get yelled at if the other one does it wrong. Right. My, yeah, so yeah, go ahead. As a DBA, your number one job, it doesn't matter what else you do, your number one job is to be able to restore the database. If you can't restore the database from backup, nothing else you do matters. I don't care how fast the database is. If I can't bring the database back with a minimal amount of loss or zero loss in a quick period of time, then what's the point of doing anything else? That that may be the most beautiful thing i've ever heard a guest say you know um yeah i like that i was going to ask though does that mean i know you mentioned with minimal loss or zero loss does that mean then that you are kind of doing backups on the side on your own even if you do have a backup person doing backups as well of your database uh, I mean, it depends so it depends on what we're doing and, and what needs to be done um so i can when the when a database fails, you know, I, I take back to that database every 15, 10 minutes, whatever the requirements are for, for data loss. Um, so I, I need to be able to restore that relatively quickly. Um, so that, and that means doing restore of potentially a thousand or a couple thousand database backups. Because I need to restore, you know, the, the backup I took at midnight last night and every backup I've taken every 10 minutes since then. And if the system crashes at 1130 at night, I've got a full day's worth of backups to restore. So that's that's obviously a whole lot of, of backups that have to get restored really, really fast. One of the things we can do in SQL Server that no third-party product that I've seen has been able to do yet is I can actually restore a single 8K page to my database. So from the native database backup, if, if you know, when, when I see a database is corrupt, I go, okay, cool. That's the 8K page. So page 47 is corrupt. So I need to restore that 8K page. If I've got a five terabyte database, if I'm using, as far as I know, any third-party product to do backups and I go to restore it, I'm restoring five terabytes and I'm restoring all the logs that have been created since the last full. If I go to my SQL native backups, I can restore that one 8K block, and then I can restore all the logs that touched that one 8K block. To so get it to restore, a consistent point. Yep, to get it to now, a consistent point, get it back up and running. Does the, SQL, the native SQL backup tool, is it, how familiar are you with RMAN and Oracle? Uh, relatively. Okay, so RMAN is a native tool, right? But you can use it in two ways. You can do a dump and sweep, Right, you can just run our man and dump it out to a disk, or you can connect it to a backup product. So it's it's a native tool either way. It, does SQL Server work like that, or is it is it when you say native tool, is this, you know, you're just saying dump database is what basically what you're saying, right? Effectively, it's backup database. Right, right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so the, there are third-party products out there that use the the backup tool mm-hmm. or the, the native backup commands. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll put things like extended stored procedures in the database that will uh, pull the data across or pipe, pipe the data from SQL Server into their into their DLL and then write it out either for encryption or compression or whatever. So there are products that, that do that. Um, most of the products are just taking that actual backup stream that's coming out of the product and just intercepting it through a file level and just writing it out. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So it'd be interesting to see um, that, but uh, it, this is, so that, th- that is, you know, th- the problem that you brought up, that is the only problem that I ever hear from every DBA. Right. Yeah, um, it's, it's the standard argument. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't, and, and, when it comes so for example when i look at our man um my sort of olive branch is how about we configure backups like this and it is a way that i run it automatically but you can run backups whenever you want right here's here's a way that i run it that way i know it's getting run and you can run it whenever you want that way you know it's getting run and then hopefully we have decent deduplication so that we're not wasting a crap ton of storage by doing that. Well, and I also like the approach with some, that some vendors take with Carman, where they allow sort of both parties to do backups. So, for instance, as a backup admin, you could say, I'm going to do once a day backup. And if the DBA decides, hey, I'm going to do a backup because I'm about to do an upgrade or something else, they can sort of do their ad hoc backup and it all kind of looks the same. And they still have the ability to restore from any of those copies right. using their native it's, RMAN yeah, tools. It's basically, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, see, uh, dedupe is where we get into some more problems from the database world. I don't want dedupe. I hate dedupe. I'm just going to slam the microphone into my That's fine. I accept, I accept that. So if, if I've got five copies of the file uh-huh. and 90, 98% of these, the, these, the files is the same, I dedupe this down to effectively one copy of the file. If that file gets corruption in it. Maybe the disk is on as bad or the tape it's it being written to is bad. I've now lost all five. That's why you don't store only one copy, Denny. That's a whole separate conversation. (laughs) Right. You should never store only one copy. I think we can all agree on that. Oh, absolutely. You should you should store a couple copies in a couple of different sites. Yeah. yeah. Three, two, Uh, one rule of backup. Yeah, absolutely. There you go, Curtis. Absolutely. All right. So basically what you're telling me, Denny, is it SQL Server and SQL Server DBAs are just like Oracle DBAs and <laughs> in that they hate people doing their backups for them. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So so we won't solve that problem today. Uh, let's try to solve world peace first. That would probably and be easier. Come back, come back to who should run the database backups. Uh, I know, Denny, at the beginning you said that SQL Server used to be thought of for like work groups, and now it's like that was like ten years ago, and now it's gotten really big. And I remember ten years ago, yeah, you talk to the SQL admin DBA, and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, this is just something small." And now you start to look at the size of the databases, how many SQL Server uh, databases customers have in their environment, and it's enormous. Oh, absolutely, yeah. The, the The databases themselves are getting absolutely huge. So think back ten, fifteen years. And you talk to an Oracle DBA or, or a Unix admin that was buying a new database server for Oracle. How much were they spending on that database? Probably 
$250,000 on the hardware. Talk to a SQL Server DBA at the same time frame, hosting the same size database. How much money were they given to spend on their database server? 10 grand? <laughs> 15 grand? Yep. As the SQL Server DBA, if you gave me the quarter million dollars to buy my database server, I could buy a really nice SQL Server <laughs> <laughs> that can do everything the Oracle box could do and then some. Um, so it, it was, it's all about how much money we're willing to spend on it. You know, if you're willing to spend the money to make the things, buy the, build the servers you had to build, then they could be similar. Otherwise, yeah, they're work group because you're giving them a $10,000 piece of equipment to run on as opposed to the $200,000 piece of equipment. Yeah. Now, and I don't know, Curtis, if you want to transition now to Azure. I do. But I think one of the things that SQL Server allows you to do, and I don't know how well Oracle is on this, is Microsoft, right, with Azure, they have a SQL Server instance that could be running in the cloud for customers mm-hmm. who kind of want that hybrid approach as well. Yeah, so there's there's three basic ways to run the Microsoft SQL Server product in the cloud, or in Azure specifically. There's SQL Server to VM, which is just a VM running SQL Server. That's boring when I'll talk about that. Um, then there's the platform as a service offering. So there's two of those that Microsoft has available. So there's SQL DB, and there's Microsoft SQL database, sorry, Microsoft SQL DB managed instance, or MI is, is what it's commonly referred to as. So the, da- the Microsoft SQL Server DB, that's the database in the cloud offering. So everything you're doing is constrained inside a single database. So your logins all go in that database. You can't cross from one database to another, so you can't do cross database queries or any of that cool stuff. But with the MI product, that is an instance as a service as opposed to a database as a service. So there you can do the multi, you've got multiple databases, you can go cross database queries, you can do jobs, you've got all those various things. So, and realistically, that MI product was built to run things like SharePoint that you can never run on SQL DB because they just need to build, the databases need to be able to talk to each other. You need this larger infrastructure. You need jobs. You need all that good stuff. So that's where we get these two different products from. So we've got two different ways of running things. It's all about what you need to run your product. And what, run, or run your app. what percentage of your customers have started using those services versus running SQL in their own on-prem? Um, probably about half of our customers have, have moved up to the PaaS platform mm-hmm. in, in Azure specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so either either managed instance or SQL database. Nope. Um, and then about half of them are still virtual machines on in, uh, in Azure. And what are they hoping to accomplish by doing that? Um, typically, it's either lowering costs, which is usually something I try to steer them away from because SQL database or managed instance is not typically cheaper than running a VM unless you take everything into account, including things like high availability, which you don't have in VMs normally. Um, And then the other thing they're trying to do is make life easier so there's less management overhead. Because with the PaaS platforms, there's no patching, there's no versioning. I'm not running SQL Server 2019. I'm running whatever the hell is running in Azure today. And that might be different from what it is tomorrow. And that might be different from what it was yesterday. So it's the the standard SaaS argument of you've got the latest and greatest always without having to worry about that. As well as the security of the whatever systems are behind uh, SQL Server itself. Right. You, you worry about your application. You worry about your data. Let Microsoft worry about the infrastructure. 
Does that mean that the, your customers can get rid of their DBAs? They or can reduce get rid their... Of their DBAs, but yeah, they they can reduce the amount of stuff the DBAs have to do because the the DBAs world has been ever growing in the amount of stuff they're responsible for: um, patching Windows, patching SQL Server, uh, dealing with the hardware at the Windows level to make sure the hardware is there, and telling the right guys what hardware they need to get. Uh, the, you've got to know something about storage. You've got to know something about backups. You've got to know something about time zones. You've typically got to be at least a minimal amount of information about the law and privacy requirements in your area because all of that ends up falling on the DBA. Gotcha. So now they can refocus and not have to worry about the patching and the hardware and all the rest of that. Yep. They can focus on these other... Exactly. Products. Probably the parts yes. that they're more interested in if they're a DBA. <laughs> Yeah, probably, because, yeah, most DBAs don't get into this to patch windows. Um, let, let in this case, Microsoft deal with all that, right. and we just deal with the, the can, database. Right. Can the data. you still do the same level of performance tuning? Like, I've heard in the past some DBAs love to do the performance tuning and tweaking and optimizations. When you use, like, an MI or the pl- platform as a service from Microsoft, do they still allow you that same level of control, or is a lot of that removed from the DBA? No, you, you still have that same level of control. So you can still do all the indexing, do all, do all the, co- the code rewrite. Literally, the only thing you don't get, which we don't really care about from a performance perspective anymore, is where the stuff is physically sitting on the hard drive. Um, everything in, in managed instance is pretty much SSD. Everything in Azure SQL database is going to be SSD, especially if you're at the, the business critical tier. Um, so we, we don't really care and we don't have control over where it physically sits. And on the traditional world on-prem, when you when your hard drive wasn't fast enough, you bought more hard drives. In the cloud, and this is irrelevant to which cloud, uh, GCP, AWS, uh, Microsoft Azure, um, if you need more, if you need faster hard drive from the PaaS platform, you just buy a faster hard drive. <laughs> you, move, you move it, yeah, you move it from... from uh, you know, uh, the lower tier to the upper tier, you go from slower disk to faster disk. So that, that's an option in the platform. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, both these offerings have two different tiers. They have business critical, and then they have, I'm trying to complete blank on the other tier. Um, business optional? <laughs> basically, yeah. It, it's the slow tier and then the business critical. Right. A general performance. Okay. So there's G- GP, general performance, right. and then there's business critical which is the, that faster tier. So it's a little bit faster cores and it's much faster disks. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I grew up in the days of short stroking hard drives. Um, uh, Persona, had you, have you ever, you know what that is? So the idea is that the disk is faster like when it's out on the outer edge of the disk. And so you literally throw away all the capacity yeah. on the inner part of the disk. and Just and, so you can use the outside that's yeah, faster. So not, yeah, it's that. <laughs> It's very different than those days. Yeah, a, a large car manufacturer up in Detroit spent tens of millions of dollars a year doing yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Because they'd only use 10% of their sand. Yeah. And they'd throw away 90% of it because yeah. it would just sit there unused because they short stroked it. Yeah, this sand. is because of, you know, it's before the days of, of SSDs and things like that, right? Um, so so th- I think this is a good, you know, a, a lead in into when we look at Azure and all of the other as a service offerings that they have, when I looked at Azure, I don't know, say five years ago, 
they they at that time they seemed significantly behind AWS in terms of the number of things that customers were asking for that they were offering. But it seems that when I I try I, I went and googled like compare Azure to AWS, and the the list was pretty extensive in terms of if this is what you use in AWS, you would use this equivalent service in Azure. Does that does that seem about what your your experience has been? Yeah, it does. Um, it, it right now it's very, they're very very similar to what they offer. I mean, there's obviously everything's got a different name. Um, you know, so there's if you use X in Azure, you use Y in AWS, you use Z in GCP. Um, but so they're all relatively the same. It's just a matter of of which knowing what tool you need to use to get the right the right job done. And Azure has 10 different ways to do everything. It's all about finding <laughs> the right way, the right thing to do what it, what it is you're trying to do. Because some things are, are better at doing the thing you're trying to do than others. Since most of your customers have gone, I mean, I guess it, this, is a, this is one of those like sample size problems. But I'm guessing a lot of your customers on Azure, um, have they talked to you about why they chose Azure over the alternatives? Um, some of them just like dealing with Microsoft better than they like dealing with Amazon. Um, some want to do some work with that large, uh, retailer. Right. Yeah. Like Amazon very right, much. Right. Um, and some of them just go with, okay, well, we're a completely .NET shop or a SQL server shop. Um, we can either go with Amazon or we can go with the guys that have source code access. Microsoft does make changes to Hyper-V, SQL server, etc., specifically for Azure. Oddly, they don't do that for AWS. Um, so Microsoft is incentivized to make their product better for their cloud. Um, as far as AWS is concerned, AWS is basically a customer. Uh, they're a large customer, but they are effectively a customer. Um, so you get a couple of things by going to Azure versus AWS or GCP. Um, one is Microsoft owns code. One is the one-third choke mentality. If something breaks, I don't have Microsoft and Windows pointing fingers at each other. I call support and I yell at them until it's fixed. Yeah. No, it's definitely a benefit to have that single throat to choke, especially for a lot of these customers who mm -hmm. are trying to solve some of these issues. And just specifically to Microsoft and running on AWS, I do know that they changed their licensing. What was it last year, right? Microsoft in terms of running it. You can't just take your existing on-premises licenses to the cloud. And run right, it to, 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 to a non Azure to a non Microsoft cloud. Yes, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. There, you you do definitely get a lot of mobility options when it comes to your on prem licensing. When it comes up to Azure versus going to to a third party platform like AWS or GCP or something like that, um, you can also do things at Azure that you can't do anywhere else, specifically because of Microsoft licensing contracts. Um, so, like when I'm going up to Azure. I can take my on-prem SQL Server licenses and I can use them in their PaaS platform. So I don't have to pay to rent SQL Server in, pa in PaaS land. Um, so if, for example, That's interesting. Got would that eight, Do they still have perpetual licenses or is it... Is, yes. So you could take a perpetual license for SQL Server yes. and then use the PaaS offering instead. Yes, as long as I'm paying for software assurance. 
So that's okay. the, the annual service okay. renewal okay. thing that comes up. It's like 10% of the retail cost. So if I have, say, eight cores of SQL Server Enterprise Edition 2008 on-prem, and I've paid for software assurance mm-hmm. for the last umpteen years uh-huh. since 2008 to now, um, I can then take those licenses and apply them to my PaaS service today at Microsoft and get a SQL Server managed instance with eight cores spun up. But you're getting a lot more you're, because you paid for just the software, whereas you would provide the hardware, but now you're getting both the hardware and the software. Well, so the the license is the cost of the MI in this particular case uh-huh. isn't free. Uh, so you're okay. still you still gotta pay you're still paying compute. You're still okay. paying for the cost. Okay, okay. Um, but you're not renting the SQL Server license. And the SQL Server license, that's where the bucks come in when it comes to any of these offerings. All right. Interesting. So the hardware, the compute cost isn't as much versus the licensing. Yeah, so yeah, if you look at the calculator, and I'm making these numbers up off the top of my head, I'm, right. not, I'm not looking at the calculator right now. But so if I rented a managed instance from Microsoft with eight cores, say it's $3,000 a month. If I bring my own license, now suddenly that same MI is $300 a month. Wow. That's what we call because a BFD. It, it, yes, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to define that acronym. You're going to have to figure that out yourself, listeners. Are you going to get to your favorite topic? Yeah, absolutely. So my summary version of what you said is that the degree to which you might be interested in Azure is directly related to the degree to which you you have a relationship with Microsoft and their products and their infrastructure. And, and if that's where, you, and you're in Microsoft land in your on-prem world, and you're thinking about moving to the cloud, it sounds like there are a lot of advantages moving whatever you have into the Azure cloud versus the anybody else cloud. Yeah, that's definitely a fair statement. Both, both um, technological yeah, and financial. Yeah. Um, and now on the, on the flip side of that is the open source world. Almost half of the VMs that are running in Azure today are Linux. That is surprising. It's a huge, huge number. And so, you know, there is a massive support for Linux in Azure today. Um, and you get some really, really great offerings that are available. I mean, there's, I think there's a dozen or a half dozen distributions that are just available as templates that you can spin up. And the official stance from Microsoft is if you can get it to run, it'll run. Um, they, they, they just don't make it. If it's, if, if it's just not one of their distributions uh-huh, they support, uh-huh. they, just, they won't help you. Right, okay. But, if, but there are people that have spun up non-supported distributions mm-hmm. and gotten them to work just fine. And I think that's probably the one thing, right? When you say Azure, right? And it's Microsoft, everyone's like, oh, it just runs Windows. So it's good to hear that they have other offerings as well for those. I'd be really curious to know the degree to which the percentage of those Linux licenses that are being run by Linux only shops. I'm guessing that, that it's a smaller percentage that those Linux licenses are people who say, I'd like to, you know, I'm a Windows shop, but I'd like to do these five things in Linux. And so I'm going to choose Azure as my platform, and then I will also happen to have some Linux licenses. I, I don't have any data to actually back up that statement, but uh, <laughs> but I, I, I just would think that if you're a if you're a pure Linux shop, 
again, going back to the earlier statement, if you're a pure Linux shop, your relationship with Microsoft is not going to be the same if you're um, if you're a predominantly Windows shop, right? So you, you'll, right. you'll have less of a reason to go to Azure. Yes, this is very true. The one advantage that you have with AWS, specifically AWS, over the other two main providers is third-party platform support for backing you up, Mm -hmm. right? That today there are a variety of companies that you can, you know, one of which obviously is Druva, that that will back up not just your VMs, but all of your SaaS and PaaS things that you're doing in AWS. The list of companies that do that in Azure is much shorter. There are a lot of companies that do that back up the VMs in Azure mm-hmm. or the VMs in GCP, but I'm wondering what people do. So for example, let's talk about running the the SQL MI, right? Mm-hmm. What did how do they back that up given that it's a service? What do they do? Uh, so if you're talking about something like MI, um, then you, it's got its own backup process built into it where it's going to back up and you keep it for as long as you want. So the, the backup uh, retention policy is basically how much are you willing to pay for storage? Because um, it's just, it's you know, you're, you're paying for terabytes of storage at that point. Um, what about getting that backup to some other place? So you, you could export that backup if you wanted to. Um, for something like MI, exporting that backup will not do you any good, though, because you cannot restore <laughs> that to SQL Server yeah. because the version of SQL Server that's running, you know, quote-unquote SQL Server, that's running MI mm-hmm. is newer than what's on your machine at, at the office. Well, I, so it's I'm, newer than what I'm you're going to install on prem So you can't do anything with that. I'm now. thinking more like getting it to another region within Azure. Or another account. Another account. Because in, in Amazon, I'm always advising people to get their backups, whatever it is they're backing up and however it is that they're mm-hmm. backing it up, to transfer that backup to another account in another region to prepare for things like what happened at OHV in France, right? right. Is there a way to do that with inside the SQL Server MI? Um, yeah, there is. Um, so the the way you do that is you select the backup offering that you've chosen. Mm-hmm. You select the geo redundant option, and you click OK. There's that again. <laughs> you know what that came persona that came up in the guy that we had the 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 verifiedbackups.com, didn't it? It, yeah. it came up. Yep. Yeah. So that, by the way, both SQL, both I'm sorry, both Azure and GCP. GCP. This is an offering that they have that AWS does not have. Mm. Uh, At least I don't think so yet. Well, yeah. So this idea of a bucket that will automatically write to multiple regions at the Mm -hmm. same time. Um, Is it out yet, Persona? Uh, I'm just verifying. Yep. Multi-region access points. That's three. I think it just came out last month. Okay. okay, so so now maybe allegedly I don't know. Okay, so that's good. So that's good to hear that. What about getting yeah. it to another account? 
Um, there's no native way to get it to another account. So, like I said, you can export the backups and you can restore them to another another account if you want to. Right. But there's not much purpose in, in getting them to another account. Um, other than security. Right. Yeah. Security. Yeah. Security with the thing because you know you then you can't write to them. Um, but Azure Blob Storage also can be set up in such a way, and that's what all these things write to, so they can't be overwritten. Um, so when it comes to things like uh, your backups, actually uh, pretty much anything in their backup service, you have no ability to write directly to those backups. Um, right. You can read from them, but you cannot write to them at all. What about deletion? Um, I think that's the biggest concern is like you get hit by an attack and someone goes in and wipes your production and wipes your backups. So Azure has two versions of delete. They have what they call soft delete, and then they have a hard delete. So soft delete is basically hide the file. Hard delete is actually delete the file. Um, so whenever you're deleting backups, uh, Microsoft automatically does a soft delete for seven or 14 days. Um, so the file will be kept around and you can always restore it within that time period. Yeah, I, I, I would really love to get like someone who like works at Azure that would be willing to take the, my difficult questions on this topic because Microsoft historically does a lot of tap dancing. In my opinion, like when we talk about things like 365, right? They, they, when you ask questions about, well, what about this scenario? And then they start, they start tap dancing, right? It, it would be interesting to see there because there, there have been instances where, account this isn't for example the the most famous one happened in aws which was the code spaces uh company that they got hacked and then the hacker deleted both the it basically just deleted the account and with that went all of the backups uh, you know overnight and they just they just ceased to be a company overnight that's the idea behind copying it to another account right but um so it'd be interesting to have that conversation with somebody who can, you know, give me a little bit of idea what's happening behind the scenes. But um, yeah, so I, I I know if you did that same thing in Azure, so you delete the account, mm -hmm. that's a soft delete for everything, even the entire and account. Could, yeah, it's a soft delete. Interesting. So you could, you could, you could go into support, I and mean, it's 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 only a soft delete for a day or two. Uh -huh. But you're going to notice if your account's been deleted right, within right. five seconds, much less a day. Right. Um, so you could, you, could, you could get on the horn, call CSS, and go, you know, CSS being support, and go, hey, my account was just deleted by accident. I need to restore the entire thing. Mm. And they'll flip it all back on for you within not long. Um, so That's they pretty can, awesome. They can, yeah. they can flip stuff back up. Which, um, as, far, as far as O365 <laughs> goes, that story is a lot easier than most Microsoft people will admit. Because their EULA says they're not responsible for backups. Right. Right. <laughs> so in the event that, you know, say a data center explodes, um, they'll get your mailbox back up and running because they have right. those, those scripted up. But what's in the mailbox? Yeah, you're on your own. You preach into the choir, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It's one of Curtis's favorite topics. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, we start. We ended on a positive note. We had a little had a little contention there in the beginning part, so I think we ended on a positive note. So I, I want to thank you, Denny, for coming on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to. And uh, Prasanna, uh, you know, uh, thanks as always for your assistance with my my mechanics as well as uh, you know the cloud Wait, world. Idiot in the room. 
What's that? Playing the idiot in Play the room. The, somebody's got to do it. Uh, <laughs> so thanks. You know, thanks again. No, it was fun, and thanks, Denny, for educating me on Azure and some of the SQL offerings. Yeah, happy to. All right, and thanks to the listeners. And, uh, you know, without you, we're just a couple of guys talking to a microphone. So thanks. Thanks for that. And make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. Fix it instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth the space. It'll be completely done Maybe one day it-